All right, Nick. So rank lists just went in this week. So hopefully this means that we'll both be matching into MFM and we'll both be learning how to ultrasound. Fingers crossed. But in our back pockets, regardless of whether we match or not, but hopefully we do, we'll be better sonographers by using the OBG's project's second trimester ultrasound atlas. The OBG project is an amazing resource online that you can go to to look up the latest guidelines. There's also a subscription process known as the OBG First, where you can bookmark articles that you enjoy and want to go back to and also use the second trimester ultrasound atlas. If you want to find out more about the OBG project or if you want to get OBG First for absolutely free for chief residents only, head on over to www.creogsovercoffee.com, look in the sidebar and get signed up. Welcome back. This is Faye. And this is Nick. And this is Creogs Over Over Coffee. Coffee. Today, we'll be talking about approach to breast masses and benign breast disease. And this is a topic suggested to us by Shade Veal. So thank you so much for the topic idea. So Nick, what are our learning objectives for today? So today we're going to talk again all about breast disease, really benign breast disease. We're going to talk about the different types of benign breast disease and how to differentiate them from cancer. We're going to talk about working up the breast mass for the OBGYN and talking about when to refer to a specialist. Faye, I think a good way to kind of talk about this is with a case. So let's take for an example a 24-year-old para-1 She has a 10-year history of type 1 diabetes, and she comes to see you with a right breast mass that she palpated while she was in the shower. She's currently breastfeeding a 9-month-old baby, and she's had some pain in the right breast, though no redness or swelling, but she feels like she's always had lumpy breasts, as she puts it. She is worried, though, because her 78-year-old grandmother was recently diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, She doesn't have any other family history of breast or ovarian cancers. We'll say on exam, she has lumpy cobblestone texture of both breasts with free-moving tissue throughout. Um, However, there is one 2 by 2 centimeter firm, mildly tender, mobile mass in the right breast at the 2 o'clock position, approximately 1 centimeter from the nipple, and there's no axillary lymphadenopathy. I think this is like pulled straight from the Creogs type of scenario. Um, What do we do? Yeah, so this is a great time to first think about your differential. So this woman is 24. It doesn't sound like she has a significant family history for breast cancer, um, though, yes, she does have a grandmother that was just diagnosed with postmenopausal breast cancer. But mostly we're thinking probably something benign for someone who is 24 years old Mm -hmm. and who is breastfeeding her infant. Let's kind of go through all of those benign things. So, And I like to divide the benign breast disease into three categories. So there's the non-proliferative breast lesions, the proliferative breast lesions without atypia, and then there's, of course, atypical hyperplasia. So going down the non-proliferative breast lesions, the first one could just be a breast cyst. Right? So she says she's had lumpy breasts. She probably has some fibrocystic changes of the breast. She could just have a simple cyst, which really is a benign fluid-filled mass. It's usually discrete, compressible, or belatable. Or in someone who is breastfeeding, she could also have a galactosil, which is a milk retention cyst that's common to women like herself. What else do you think of when you think of non-proliferative breast lesions, Nick? Yeah, so again, somebody who has just 
generally what we call fibrocystic changes to the breast can be really common, particularly in premenopausal women. Um, however, these fibrocystic changes can cause breast pain, and so it's still important to consider and examine your patients for that. Also commonly and kind of along the same lines are lipomas or fat necrosis in the breast. So lipomas are mature fat cells that organize into a benign tumor, and you've probably encountered one in clinical practice somewhere, but they can be annoying and particularly painful. Fat necrosis can develop after some sort of blunt trauma to the breast or after a surgery like a breast reconstruction or even in the context of radiation therapy with uh, prior cancers or cancers to other sites that aren't the breast. These generally are associated with skin ecchymosis as well, so eliciting that in your history can be important. There are a couple of other conditions that fall into this non-proliferative category, Faye. Yeah, so those things include a breast abscess. So this would be a localized collection of inflammatory exudate or pus, which can develop due to mastitis or cellulitis. Um, and usually there's going to be other signs of infection that you probably can all elicit. And this may be something that's going on in this woman because she has risk factors for mastitis. She's breastfeeding. The other thing that she could be at risk for, given that she's had a 10-year history of type 1 diabetes, is something called diabetic mastopathy. And this is usually in women with long-standing type 1 diabetes, and it manifests as suspicious fibrous breast lumps. And usually there's multiple ones of these. You need to have a biopsy with pathology to prove that this is actually diabetic mastopathy. And finally, another one that is kind of rare is something called idiopathic granulomatous mastitis. This is an inflammatory disease of the breast. It usually presents as painful, firm, and ill-defined masses that can have erythema and edema of the skin. And this will usually be identified incorrectly as mastitis or cellulitis, and people will be given long courses of treatment with antibiotics, often with no resolution of what's happening. All right, Nick, so we've talked about those non-proliferative breast lesions. What about those proliferative breast lesions? Yeah, so probably the one that I think you encounter most often on a test question are intraductal papillomas. Intraductal papillomas pathologically are a monotonous array of papillary cells that grow from the wall of a cyst into its lumen. These generally aren't concerning, but occasionally can harbor ductal carcinoma in situ. Um, additionally, these intraductal papillomas can be solitary or they can be multiple lesions as well. This is the most common cause of bloody nipple discharge. So really in the context of creogs, let's say again with this particular case, she came to you and said, I'm having bloody nipple discharge. An intraductal papilloma would be something that you'd want to rule out. Um, another type of proliferative breast lesion that doesn't have atypia is something called sclerosing adenosis. This is a lobular lesion with an increased amount of fibrous tissue in the breast. Um, and there's nothing really to treat with this. Ultimately, this is just benign. On the spectrum of that is something called a radial scar, which is just a complex sclerosing lesion or lesions, and this is usually diagnosed after biopsy. The recommendation for radial scars is usually excision, but really you don't need to have any other treatment after that. And finally, a very common lesion in the breast is a fibroadenoma. It's the most common benign tumor in the breast, and it accounts for about half of all breast biopsies. It's composed of glandular and fibrous tissue, and it's usually felt to be a well-defined mobile mass on exam. The last category that we'll talk about are lesions that are called atypical hyperplasia. 
Um, and there are two primary things that we talk about here. The first that's much more common is atypical ductal hyperplasia, which is proliferation of uniform epithelial cells um, with round nuclei that fill part of the milk duct. And the second type, as you might predict, is atypical lobular hyperplasia. Um, so these are monomorphic, evenly spaced adhesive cells that fill part of the lobule, but can also involve the ducts as well. And then the last thing on our differential ultimately has to be malignancy. We won't be talking about that today since we'll be focusing on benign breast disease. But now that we have our differential, Nick, let's talk about what you actually would do because you sitting there spouting all of these possibilities to your patients is probably not helpful for her. So if you saw her in the clinic, Nick, what would you do? Absolutely. So just like we kind of talk about with all of these different conditions, the first thing is a good history. Um, you want to know about any changes in the size of the breast, skin changes overlying the breast, any change, for instance, with like nipple inversion or discharge, getting a good sense of the location of the breast mass. You know, with our own breast surgeons that are at our hospital, they really appreciate when you're very specific. And breast surgeons very much like the sort of clock face and distance type of description. So again, at the two o'clock position, three centimeters from the nipple. Um, that can be very, very helpful ultimately in making a referral. And finally, knowing characteristics that are associated with that history, including pain, relationship to menstrual cycle, um, or trauma to the breast. Family history and other relevant histories are also important. You know, you want to talk about risk of breast cancer, risk of ovarian cancer. You want to think about kind of some of those syndromic things that can lead to breast cancer. You know, BRCA probably being the most obvious one that we think about, um, but like the Lynch syndrome, for instance, being another one that you can commonly encounter. And then the last thing that we think about is a physical exam. Um, you should always examine both breasts, even if the finding is just in one. Things like symmetry, skin changes, nipple changes can really be hard to see in isolation. And so examining both breasts together can kind of give you a better sense of what might fit more the normal bill and what fits more the abnormal bill. Um, doing the breast exam also should always be in conjunction with the regional or axillary lymph node exam. So I guess once we do our exam, like ultimately we're going to need to work this up a little bit further, right? Yeah, so we definitely need to think about some imaging options for someone who presents with a new breast mass. So you can think of different types of images. And the first one we all think about is diagnostic mammography because we send so many patients to um, get screening mammograms. So if we have something that we specifically want to look at, then of course we could still do mammography. And this includes mammography with tomosynthesis for women who have dense breasts. You can also do targeted breast ultrasounds, which would be a good decision for patients who are younger, who have more dense breasts, who you don't think that mammography may show you as much because there are some limitations when women do have dense breasts. And finally, there's really not as much of a role for advanced imaging modalities for your initial imaging. And this would be things like a breast MRI, which, you know, you may get after you have the first diagnostic mammogram or the targeted breast ultrasound. A definitive diagnosis is done with biopsy. So if there is something on imaging would prompt additional procedures, then you may need to send your patient to a specialist for that biopsy, whether it's a core biopsy, incisional or excisional tissue biopsy, or an FNA. Some of these may require a referral to a breast surgeon. 
So Nick, what about follow-up? Let's say, you know, you get this 24-year-old woman to go through with all of these things and it comes back and it's something that is deemed to be benign. How do you follow that up? Yeah. So again, patients who kind of become acutely aware of some difference or abnormality in the breast, even though you may get something that is benign appearing, um, you should still follow them closely for changes in the breast. Generally, these recommendations range around something like a clinical exam and some sort of imaging every six months for two years. If the patient ultimately ends up being stable at that point, they can go back to routine screening. In the case of our young patient here, you know, ultimately, you'd probably get that targeted imaging, probably an ultrasound and a biopsy, maybe mammography, and then assuming like you end up with something benign, then great, but Again, this breast surgery team can always try and help you with trying to coordinate that follow-up and figure out the frequency of follow-up. All right, Nick, I think that brings us to the end of our benign breast disease episode. So let's go ahead and sum up. All right. So we started off today talking about the different types of benign breast disease, and we categorized them into non-proliferative breast lesions, proliferative lesions without atypia, and atypical hyperplasias. In terms of non-proliferative breast lesions, these things include things like breast cysts, fibrocystic changes, lipomas, fat necrosis, abscesses, diabetic mastopathy, and very rarely, idiopathic granulomatous mastitis. We then talked about the proliferative lesions without atypia. Probably the most common one for a test question are these intraductal papillomas that, again, can harbor ductal carcinoma in situ um, and are the most common cause of bloody nipple discharge. Additional types of proliferative breast lesions without atypia include sclerosing adenosis, a radial scar, or a fibroadenoma, which turns out to be the most common benign tumor in the breast. And finally, we need to think about atypical hyperplasia, so atypical ductal and atypical lobular hyperplasia. In terms of the workup, ultimately it always starts out with your history. Again, you want to talk about the changes to the breast, the location, characteristics of pain or the mass itself, relevant family and social histories, um, and then performing a thorough and bilateral physical exam. We then talked about the next step, which is diagnostic evaluation with imaging. And so this can start off with a diagnostic mammogram with or without tomosynthesis, as well as a targeted breast ultrasound. However, definitive diagnosis is usually confirmed with a biopsy, which may require referral to a specialist. Always talk with breast surgeons about indications for follow-up and follow-up imaging, but generally speaking, clinical exam and imaging every six months for two years, followed by a return to routine screening as indicated. All right, Nick, I think that just about sums it up. So once again, I'm Faye. And this is Nick. And this has been Kriogs Over Coffee. So guys, if you liked this episode, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Outcast, whatever your podcatcher is. Give us a five-star rating and review. You can also find us on social media, on Twitter at CreogsOverCoff1, on Facebook at CreogsOverCoffee, on Instagram at CreogsOverCoffee. And of course, if you want to give us some love, come on over to Patreon at www.patreon.com slash CreogsOverCoffee. We have show notes for this episode and every other episode on our website, www.creogsovercoffee.com. And if you want to ask us a question or give us a suggestion about future episodes, just like How Should I Beal did, you can email us at creogsovercoffee at gmail.com. <laughs>